Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray, pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, I know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Lord, we ask you to take your word and equip us. Take your word and comfort us. Take your word and correct us. Take your word and grant us faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you have reason to rejoice this morning? Or in other words, what's the source of your joy this morning? What's your source of your joy on a day-to-day basis? The disciples in our story this morning from Luke chapter 10 thought they had great reason to rejoice. They actually came back to Jesus rejoicing and celebrating. And then Jesus, you could say, gave them a little bit of a realignment. He gave them a soft correction. He returned them to what should be the true source of their joy. This morning, you along with every human being in history is in pursuit of joy. Every decision that you and I make is basically governed by our desire to have joy. Nobody makes a decision to be in a terrible situation. Nobody puts themselves in a bad predicament so they can experience difficulty. People make decisions based upon what they think is going to bring them joy. Every human being wants joy. Now, sometimes we go through difficulty and hardship. Sometimes we intentionally choose to suffer, but we choose that with a long-term view that if we suffer during this short term, we're going to experience joy in the long term. We're in the pursuit of joy. Everybody wants joy. 
This morning, we get a little nugget from Jesus. In this realignment that he gives the disciples, in this correction, we get an everlasting truth that actually stops our pursuit of joy because we now find where we get true joy. This morning, we're going to talk about something that's relevant to everyone in this room. We're going to look at Scripture for guidance from Scripture for something that everybody wants, and that is joy. This morning, from Jesus' statement, we learn that our pursuit of joy stops when we come to trust in God's promises and rest in God's presence. It's an interesting situation that we have here with Jesus. Jesus sends out 72 people and says, hey, go and do what I have been doing. Go to these towns and heal, cast out demons. By this time, Jesus is pretty popular. You could say that Jesus is, a, is the miracle man. Towns want him to come. And when Jesus comes, crowds flock. It's because the miracle man is here. I mean, who wouldn't want to see Jesus? He's allowed people to walk that have never walked. He's raised people from the dead. He's cast demons out of people that have kept people chained up, literally. It's the miracle man. Everybody wants to experience the miracle man. And now Jesus is basically saying to the 72, go out and be miracle men. And that's exactly what happens. These 72 go out, and what happens? There's healings. There's demons that are cast out. And so I, I think they're just like you and I would be. They return to their master, and then what are they thinking? Well, Jesus, we've done exactly as, you, as you've asked, and guess what? It's worked. I mean, what's happening here is what Jesus wants to happen. It says in Luke chapter 4, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah saying that he's come to loose the chains. He's come to give the blind their sight. And now these things are happening and the disciples come back and say, Jesus, yes, let's celebrate. And then Jesus says to them something really odd. Verse 19, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. So he's giving them this authority to, to do that. Then he says, nevertheless, or but... Do not rejoice in this. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't rejoice in what was just accomplished. That doesn't make any sense because that's what Jesus wants accomplished. It only makes sense if we read on to what Jesus says in the rest. He says at the end, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, basically Jesus is saying, hey, you're rejoicing in that. You should have already been full of joy. It's kind of like this at home. And think for a second if your wife's about to order pizza from a, from a nice pizza establishment. But you know what? You've already put a nice $1.39 Totino's in the oven. The pizza arrives from the nice establishment. What are you doing? That doesn't move you an inch. Because of what? I have got glory and majesty in my oven already. And so comparatively speaking, when it arrives, I don't get excited at all because I'm as full of excitement as I already can be because I've already got the best. That's basically what Jesus is saying. He's looking at his disciples saying, 
you're already full of joy. In other words, Jesus is saying, your joy should come from the promise of being in God's presence. So when Jesus says, rejoice that your names are written in the book of heaven, heaven means God's presence. Heaven is used as a word to describe the the presence and the fullness of where God resides. When you and I think of heaven, we think of places for our relatives, we think of nice buildings, gold streets, but really heaven is the full presence of God. So, So when he says your names are written in the book of heaven, he's really saying you have got a promise of eternity in the presence of God. In other words, our pursuit of joy stops when we begin trusting in the promise of God and resting in the presence of God. This morning, I want to turn back and and just give you a picture to see the unity of Scripture. That that joy is not something that's spoken of here and there. Joy is a unified thought throughout Scripture, a unified promise. And so this morning, we're going to read a Scripture passage together from Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is uh, one of the most powerful Scripture passages I would contend. It gives a promise, and then it shows how someone's living in light of that promise. And so we're going to read together from Psalm 16 and try and see the unity of what Jesus is doing. Let's read together. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here we have a psalm, most likely written by King David. King David undergoing some difficulty, where King David is a little uncertain what's going to happen. The kingdom might be taken from King David, or King David is being surrounded by enemies. Yet King David makes this proclamation under the power of the Holy Spirit that he's still dwelling securely in the flesh because of a future promise. So if you look at verse 9 and 10 of Psalm 16, David says, you know, you're not going to let your Holy One see corruption. My flesh dwells securely. So even in his body right now, he still has confidence, he still has joy. Why? Because of the promise that you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Sheol is the place of death, where where the dead reside. And then the next part of the promise, or let your Holy One see corruption. In other words, David is saying, because of this promise that there is going to be a resurrection, because I will not be abandoned at the grave, because of that promise, I can live securely now. And then he goes on in the next verse to say, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Fullness of joy. Where? In the presence of God. So on one hand, you've got the future promise 
of conquering the grave. On the other hand, you've got in the presence of God, there is the fullness of joy. And at the conquering of the grave, we are going to be in the presence of God. But we can be in the presence of God today because of the power spirit in the written word. So Jesus says to his disciples, hey, rejoice that your names are written in the, in the book of heaven. Basically, King David is saying the same thing. I rejoice because of the promise of being in the presence of God, and I find the fullness of joy in God's presence. The pursuit of joy is all about the pursuit of God. The problem is the majority of us don't pursue God. We pursue the benefits of God. What I mean by that is this. Maybe you've had this experience as a teenager, or you've had this done to you by a teenager. There's something coming up big at the weekend, right? There's a, there's a movie you want to go to or something that you need money for. So what do you do? Wednesday or Thursday, you spend a couple extra hours with your parents. Why? You're buttering them up for the big ask. So you spend a couple of hours with your parents on Wednesday or Thursday because then on Friday, you can get the cash. The only reason you're spending time with your parents is you want the cash on Friday. You're not spending time with your parents to be with your parents. The same is true of how we often treat God. We want to benefit from God, but we rarely go after God for God. Why? Because we're distracted by other things and we get engulfed in things closer and more visual to us. This last week, my wife and I had the opportunity to get away for the week and go to a pastoral retreat center for a couple of days, and we spent a little bit of time doing some fun things as well, and, and we had told our young daughter that, hey, next week we get to go see the bears, because we go to bear country while we're out there, kind of an outdoor zoo that you drive through. And so last week we had told her that, so every once in a while she'd be like, see bear, see bear? And so as we're driving out to the Black Hills, just you learn a couple of parenting tips. Never tell them in advance what you're going to do unless you're trying to develop patience. So the whole trip, see bear? See bear? No, the, for the day of, we're actually going to do it. See bear? Oh, well, we're going to have lunch first. Thing. All of this excitement to see the bear. So we arrive at Bear Country Pay, start driving through. We even let her out of her car seat, bring her up front to, to sit with us where she can see everything we're driving through. She's looking at the goats and the, the reindeer. We finally get to the bears. And I was surprised. There's bears everywhere. They're along the road. They're in the road. And I'm just like, look at bears, bears. She didn't see a single bear. What is she doing? She's counting the change in the loose change place in the car. <laughs> Doesn't look at any bears. We drive through the bears and we get to the end. And, and, but now there's something better. There's little bears, baby bears, where you get to walk through. So you want to see the little bears? Yeah, baby bear, baby bear. Okay, get out of the car, get in the stroller, let's go through and look at the baby animals. We get up to the baby bears. I'm tired, let's go in. No looking at the baby bears. So here you have someone, see bear, see bear? And then there's the bear, but there's distraction at the exact same time. You and I are not wandering around saying, see bear, see bear? We are wandering around saying, get joy, get joy? The question is, are we grabbing onto the things that are closest to us and most fun? Or are we pursuing God himself 
who is the fountain of joy. Jesus realigns his disciples and says, hey, that's, no, don't rejoice in that, what you think is mission success. Rejoice rather in the promise of God and in the presence of God. Are you chasing after God for God? Kind of had an interesting experience over the last 60 days, I would say. Over the last 60 days have been kind of weird. We've had a new child at our house, and so you think things would be kind of chaotic. But over the last 60 days, actually, I've had more vacation time and more time off since we started King of Glory. And I'm not saying I'm being lazy. For whatever reason, just have had more time off, more downtime over the last 60 days. More free lunches. And so over the last 60 days, a couple times I decided to do is just start fasting for the sake of fasting. Now, this is kind of embarrassing to say as the pastor, I had never done that before. I've fasted quite often. But whenever I fasted previously, I was fasting for a decision that was about to be made or something I wanted God to get done. And did it quite often. This is the first time where I had no agenda in the fasting. I was just reflecting upon Scripture and fasting. And I'm not saying an audible voice from God spoke to me. I'm not saying lightning struck me or anything like that. But in the midst of that thing of reflecting upon a psalm, either because in the midst you've got clearer reflection or because God the Spirit spoke to me, just said very clearly, think, why have you not sought me for me? It was like a ton of bricks. I've done all of this stuff. I've been involved in multiple ministries, trying to get ministries started to reach out and to to do good, get God to work through His people. And this is the first time ever. It's like, oh, that's right. When am I going to seek God for God? This morning, you and I can pursue joy by pursuing God for God. If you read a couple of different psalms all throughout, there's this interesting theme. A psalmist is always honest. You're kind of just laying out what's going on. A lot of times there's hurt, there's pain, talking about the enemies. You turn to one of the most famous psalms, Psalm 42, as it talks about, as, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for the Lord. What's the psalmist want? The psalmist wants God. The psalmist doesn't necessarily want certain benefits. The psalmist wants God. I believe that there's hundreds, most likely thousands, sitting in churches across the city this morning that have pursued the benefits of God but have never pursued God himself. How about you this morning? Have you ever pursued God the creator of the universe who wants to make himself known and has made himself known to you? As I was preparing a couple, about a, in the middle of August, as I was starting to get ready for September, my plan for today was to be all about missions, to get us focused on the book that we're going to read together. And so I went through all of the Gospels and looked at all the places where it says Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, go out and stuff, and I landed on Luke 10 was where I was going to unpack because clearly Jesus is sending out the 72 to, to reach out. But as I read this, there was one exhortation that just rang out above all others. 
And that exhortation is Jesus saying, do not rejoice in the success of your mission work. Rejoice in the presence and the promise of God. As we begin to enter into mission together, we get the beauty of looking at the Bible in, in kind of in everything complete. So we get the beauty of learning from the disciples' mistakes. So we get the beauty of knowing that, yeah, at the end when the disciples came back, Jesus kind of realigned them. So now when we start, we can be in alignment with Jesus. And that alignment is this. We go from a foundation of joy. From a completely business perspective, Jesus changes everything here. Jesus redefines success. Jesus defines success by what? Our names being written in heaven. We've already got success. We're working from a position of success. The question is not, will we be successful? The question is, will we be faithful stewards of God's resources? God already loves us. We have complete joy in Jesus Christ. So maybe the reason we're not doing missions is because we don't have the joy that God has promised here. I mean, if we had the joy, we would not have to get up and motivate people to invite others to know Jesus. Because what do you do with things that you're joyful about? What do you do with things that you enjoy? You tell others. It's that way everywhere in life. What we enjoy, we share. Do we enjoy God? The pursuit of joy stops when we begin to trust in God's promise and rest in the presence of God. And then we go out in mission together. So, very practical for a few moments. Everybody here today is coming from a different place, right? Some are coming in the midst of, of downturn. Others are, are, are clicking right along. As we all come from different places, so how do we pursue this joy? How do we functionally experience this joy that God wants us to have? You know, we, the promise is guaranteed. Names are written in heaven for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who have been claimed by God and are in Christ, the name is in heaven. So the question is, how do we functionally experience that joy now? So just to talk practical application for a second, the question now moves to this. How's the rhythm of my life? If you want to functionally experience the joy that God gives to us, it's all about the rhythm of our lives. And what I mean by that is this. The Bible is full of religious activity. If you look at the Bible, it's full of people getting together in the temple, full of Bible re scripture reading, full of prayer, full of fasting, um, full of fellowship. So it's got all of this religious activity. Sometimes we look at that religious activity and we kind of downplay it a little bit. Or we say things like, well, we're not calling you into religious activity. We're calling you to God but it's this religious activity that God works through. Don't think of it as religious activity, but think of it as ordained rhythms for life. That maybe God had something in mind when he created the Sabbath and created the temple to gather at. Maybe God had something in mind when he put into practice, when he commanded fasting, when he gave us the opportunity for prayer, and he gave us the Bible. It's not meaningless 
religious activity. It's a rhythm for how we go about living. The challenge is for the majority of us, our rhythm is way off beat. Our lead musician would cringe if I walked over to the drums right now and tried to lay down a little beat. Because there would be no beat. There would be a lot of noise. A lot of your lives right now are no beat and a lot of noise. A lot of noise because there's constant exhaustion, constant stress, constant bursts of energy of trying out the next new coolest thing. When God is really calling us to enter into a rhythm, a week-to-week rhythm of experiencing the Sabbath, experiencing Him through His written Word, experiencing Him through prayer, experiencing Him through different disciplines like fasting. It's not about accomplishing these activities so we get something. It's about living in the rhythm the Creator has revealed to us. You want to stop pursuing joy and actually experience joy? Start living in a whole new rhythm. I've had a lot of dental work done lately, and it's just been extremely painful. Thing This last time that I went in, they took out this old cavity and put some crown stuff in, and just it was torture thing. The whole next week was torture. They had to use so much Novocaine that I just basically ate on one side of my mouth for the next week. And then we were about ready to leave for vacation this week. I'm just like, this is killing me. Went back to the dentist and I said, hey, you're making things a lot worse than you are better. Can I have my old cavity back? (laughs) And he says to me, he says, well, the problem is this. He says, now what you are doing is you're eating everything in one location. Before what you were doing is spreading everything out evenly. And now because you're eating everything in one location, that which is bad is making it that much worse. You're out of sync. Your mouth is out of I've always known my mouth is out of sync, but now the, now the teeth are out of sync. And when that happens, what takes place? Bad stuff happens. The same is true for you and I today. When we get out of the rhythm that God has ordained for us, bad stuff happens. I'm going to talk about this tonight a little bit. But in, in counseling and in any time with people, one thing is always said. Never make a major decision in the midst of emotional chaos. Always tell people that. If there's difficulty going on, don't make a major decision right now in the midst of emotional chaos. It, and it, it, people would agree that's just a bad idea. You don't do it. Because bad things happen when you start doing things when you're already out of kilter. And so, when you and I aren't walking in the rhythm that God has laid out for us, we start just making bad decisions and they multiply. But God has continually given us new opportunities to step back into the rhythm. Here's the beauty of it. When we're out of the rhythm, it's not like God says, geez, let's get the filing cabinet out and change the names in the book of heaven. I mean, we could spend a lot of time on this. I know this leads to a lot of questions. But there's a glorious truth right there of our security in Jesus Christ. Not because of what we have done or because of what we're doing, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. He allows us to get back in the rhythm. Today, the pursuit of joy stops. And it's time to start experiencing joy as we walk to a new drumbeat, the drumbeat that God has revealed in Scripture.
Do you have a reason to rejoice today? You may think you have a reason to rejoice because of what's happening at work. You may think you have a reason to rejoice because of what's going on in your family right now. Those may be momentary fleeting pleasures, and they are momentary fleeting pleasures. The question is, do you have a reason to rejoice? There's only one reason to rejoice, and that's if your name is in the book of heaven. This morning, have you professed faith in Jesus Christ? Have you said, Jesus, you are mine. I trust you. I do not trust my own goodness or my own works. Jesus, I trust you. For when we trust in Jesus Christ, Romans tells us that when we confess with our lips, when we profess that Jesus is Lord, we are saved. Or in other words, our names are written in heaven. How about you today? How about to stop the pursuit of joy and experience joy by trusting in God's promises and resting in God's presence? Go forth and rejoice if your name is written in the book of heaven. Let us pray. Almighty God, acknowledge this morning, O Lord, that oftentimes we are chasing after weird stuff. We acknowledge that oftentimes we're getting stressed about things that don't matter. God, this morning we ask that you would break in and remind us of our foundation in you. God, this morning I pray for anyone here today that wants to take a step of faith. I pray that you'd move upon their hearts, that you'd give them the gift of faith, that they could profess faith in you alone. God, thank you for calling us to be your children. Thank you for claiming us. Lord, I pray this next week that you grant us all the discipline now to enter into the rhythm of the life you've called us to. We give you all of the thanks, God. We give you all of the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.